Welcome to SaaScast. My name is Alex Morris, and I'm a content marketer here at Future of SaaS. Joining us today are Catherine Farley and Brendan Gargan of SalesWhale, an AI leads assistant for lead generation. They're ready to talk us through how to take the SaaS out of SaaS with a discussion of how to bridge the gap between marketing and sales. To begin with, it'd be excellent to get an introduction from yourselves, Catherine and Brandon. Uh, if you could just discuss what SalesWell is all about, uh, the, the product, its core features, your mission, and anything else you'd like to uh, mention. Sure. So I guess I'll start. Um, my name is Brandon Gargan. I'm the director of sales at SalesWell, and I've been with the company for about seven months now. Um, SalesWell in general, just to sum it up, um, we are an AI tool specifically for sales and marketing teams. Um, and our goal is exactly that, to bridge the gap between sales and marketing teams using technology. Um, essentially, what our AI does is it holds two-way email communication with leads to engage, nurture, and qualify them, um, essentially to automate the top of the funnel. Um, so that human beings can leverage their time more efficiently. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of sums it up. And to fill in the gap, <laughs> Brandon's the director of sales and I'm the director of marketing. Hi. Okay. Really? Uh, so on to the first question then. Um, so from a sales well perspective, uh, obviously bridging the gap between marketing and sales, what do you think is the nature of the relationship between your marketing and sales people? So what kind of tasks do you collaborate on? Do you have any shared objectives? Uh, how, and how often do you sync up? That kind of thing. Yeah, well, so I'm relatively new to sales. Well, I guess, I mean, we, we kind of both are, but I'm much newer. I've only been at SalesWell for a little over two months now. Um, and thankfully, Brandon and I are like the leads of each each other's departments and you know Brandon in, interviewed me and um so he knew exactly what he was getting himself into so I I I would say we're kind of in the um it's like we're in the honeymoon phase but it's not like we had a really long courtship beforehand right like we kind of eloped so to speak <laughs> um so we like I think we get along really well because he tolerates my sense of humor and Right. I tolerate his his going to bed at you know six p.m. and not being able to get a hold of him for you know any time in the evening. But uh, you know, in terms of what we what we work on together, I I essentially run any big ideas by him because in marketing 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 people cannot be successful without sales. But on the flip side, salespeople can be successful without marketing. So um, I try to be as transparent as possible with Brandon when I'm thinking about, you know, if I'm gonna if I want to start running paid ads, if I want to start launching a new um, like content series, whatever it is, I I run it all by Brandon, and I, I like to do it in an informal way through like Slack. I don't I don't set up any formal sync up because I am, I also try to be very conscious of his time as he has way more external meetings than I do and ever will just by the nature of our different jobs. So I think at SalesWell, we are practicing what we preach and that sales and marketing get along. Um, but, you know, we also, Brian and I haven't had a big blowout yet, but I'm sure that will eventually come because, you know, sales and marketing folks are so they're so similar and that, but they're so opposite at the same time. Uh, but at sales, well, I mean, I, I think we get along great. Brandon, go ahead and contradict me if you want. 
Yeah, no, I, I disagree with you completely. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, we, to, to her point, I think um, one of the things as a company, you know, we're lucky that we're still really small and we're still fairly early. So um, for us, there's just a lot of communication. There's a lot of collaboration. Um, and, and that makes, I think from, from my perspective, working at larger companies in the past, a lot of the disconnects happen when you've got these big marketing teams and big sales teams that don't communicate, right? It's almost like a relationship in a sense where you just need really good communication and you need to be aligned on certain things in order to have a successful partnership. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, the term like my work husband or my work brother, like it, it's so true. Like you're, you, you really have to treat like your colleagues, like they're your significant others and you have to like nurture that. So I mean, I think we get along well, but at the same time, like just for an example, an example, we disagree on things or we, we, we sometimes will think something we're about to work on isn't the best idea. Like for instance, yesterday, we were just talking about our approach to LinkedIn and Brandon and I are in agreement that sometimes LinkedIn can be an echo chamber, right? Like just like any other social media platform, it's really the audience and the voice and the messages you're hearing are, are dependent on who you're following and who they're fault. Like, so it, it can, it can kind of be limiting and kind of be misleading sometimes uh, in terms of like how successful your ads are doing or, you know, or, or any organic traction you're getting. But at the same time, you know, I was like, I agree with you, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I think we, we've come to some sort of understanding, whether it's like just our personality types or from the get go, I was like, you know, we, we need to be honest with each other, but sometimes I'm going to just have to do stuff that you might not always think is the best, but we just, we, we agree to disagree and we just move forward. Okay. So that's within sales. Well, uh, outside of in other SaaS businesses, for instance, uh, what do you think are the so the biggest, you covered a few, but the biggest uh, problems and gaps you see between marketing and sales and the repercussions that they may have on everyone's objectives. Yeah, I think from, from my perspective, it goes back to sort of, of what I said, um, where a lot of times you'll see a lack of communication, right? It sort of feels like it's two different teams working towards two different things. And in my opinion, I think that actually speaks to a larger problem at most organizations where you see um, KPIs and, and metrics and measurables that are different for both teams, right? You've got marketing teams working towards a number of, of you know, leads or something like that, where you've got sales teams working towards a, a revenue number. Um, and I think that just in and of itself creates this sort of gap between both teams where they both feel like they're working towards something else. And I think we're lucky here. We, we truly believe at, at SalesWell that, you know, both teams should be working towards the same goal, right? Like for us, we want to increase our revenue, increase our growth. We want to, you know, move towards that next step. And um, so we're both aligned on that, those goals. I think at other companies outside of sales, well, you don't see that as much. And so it doesn't feel like there's this sort of communal, we're all working towards the same thing. Um, a, a lot of times that's unavoidable because you've got just really big, massive companies, but then it comes down to communication, right? Understanding, okay, why is this, metric important for their metric and why do these two metrics together create success for the company right so again it's just good communication um, and a good partnership between both units sure. yeah and to add on to that you know there's always there's the misalignment with the metrics as brandon said but then there's also just when you get bigger like there's not as much time or you don't think you have to make as much time to get to know and like date and and you know 
convince your counterparts to, you know, not literally date, but figuratively speaking, date in court, um, the folks on the other side that, you know, what you're doing is has value, what you're doing is going to help them. And so it just breeds this kind of uh, contempt for each other where, you know, sales thinks marketing doesn't do anything. They're just making collateral that no one cares about. And then marketing thinks sales doesn't do anything and they're, they're not working. And so when you don't get, like, when you don't take the time to get to know each other and really make that effort, uh, it just breathes a really uh, toxic environment. And, you know, again, luckily, luckily sales wills is small. And so when I can't get a hold of Brandon after 5 PM, I know it's not because he's ignoring me. It's because he's sleeping, you know, and, and I, now I know that. And so now I won't hate on him for not responding to me. Okay. Uh, and do you think this is a common issue then in, uh, obviously bridging the gap that you think is a common issue, particularly with bigger businesses or is it more of a small business uh, issue? Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, you know, you, you hear it a lot. I know for us and, and based on my experience here at SalesWell, like when we started looking for a, a director of marketing, um, you know, a CEO um, and, you know, we all put our heads together and sat down and said, well, who are we looking for? Like, let's just big picture. What's the right kind of person? And and it was really important that we found somebody, um, you know, who was in alignment that we all need to be working towards the the same goal. So obviously we found someone awesome uh, here, but you know, that's just based on experience. What we were looking for is to say, Hey, this is something that is common in most companies having a divide between these two teams. And we do not want that here. That just makes it more difficult to be successful. Sure. Yeah. And there's so many different factions within marketing. And so there's, there's so many different like personality types that you can get. And that's something Brandon and I discussed on my interview, I was like, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you're meeting all types of people, the more creative, you know, heads that could really lead like an ad agency and think up like of these brilliant commercials. And then there's much more data-driven analytical people that just like look at each number and each impression. And then they try to calculate, you know, the click to whatever. And they, and they just obsessed with these numbers, but they couldn't write copy to save their life. Um, I was like, so that, but both both ends of the spectrum, I told Brian, I was like, they they can drive you nuts because they're just so different from how a salesperson operates and what a salesperson needs. And so uh, I think that's probably how I got the job, right, Brandon? I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, and and but but you kind of need someone in the middle, or at least if you are on one end of each, you know, the side of each spectrum, you need to be able to come a little bit in the middle when you're working with sales because sales. Folks, I mean, it's great. You have a really creative idea for a commercial, but like, how is that going to help me close a deal? Like, I need I need something more immediate, something more tangible. And on the other side of the spectrum, marketing folks that are crunching numbers and doing, you know, looking at this and that and, and projecting MQLs and pipeline, salespeople are like, we do that. Like, we, we know, we know what we need to do. We know our numbers. So on that side, and it, it comes off like marketing folks are, you know, impeding on territory that isn't there. So you have to be able to communicate and like speak sales language. Uh, and that's that, I mean, that's a rampant issue at every company I've worked at. So I think that leads uh, very nicely to the next question of how, how would you go about starting the process of um, <clears throat> sort of merging, getting, well, collaborating between marketing and sales 
how and how you manage that with sales well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for any company, not just sales wheel specifically, if you want to bring two teams together and um, you know eliminate that divide, look at your your metrics, right? Like, I'm I'm a really big believer in aligning your KPIs and your your um, your measurables with the bottom line of the company, right? So if if you're at a phase where you guys need user growth, or you're at a phase where you guys need revenue, or all of the above, right? Make those your universal KPIs across both teams. If your marketing team and your sales team are both working towards the same goal and getting paid on the same goal, then they're more likely to come together to find a solution that that works for both sides and it's more successful for for the company as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my recommendation. That's what we've done here, but I think that's a, a good start for any company. Okay. It, it, you know, and it can be daunting for a marketing person because they're not used to being as tied to a metric as sales, right? Like they're their pay doesn't always necessarily depend on if a deal closes or not. But I think it's important for marketing folks to start thinking that way because as Brandon said, it, it makes you align better and also empathize better with your sales counterparts. And, and it, it also makes you understand the business more. So you, you start to understand the sales cycle. You start, you know, you just, you start to have more realistic expectations of, of what the path to growth is and the things that you need to do in order to get get there. And and that might mean that you you can't do some of the quote unquote funner things that you were doing, but it does mean that you are actually making a difference at your company. Right. And and at the very least, it, it makes you think about you know what you're working on, right? To say, okay, like it doesn't mean you can't do those fun things. It doesn't mean you can't do those branding campaigns, but you certainly want to think about how does this impact my the revenue growth you know the bottom line at the end of the day because that's what i'm getting paid on and that's what's most important to the company right so i think that's just the most important part of it is it makes you think of everything in that light like okay how does what i'm working on today impact the the revenue growth or the user growth or xyz whatever that that kpi is sure and um possibly do you think there's a friendly rivalry between marketing and sales and that could create a sort of pushback and you might, that might sort of try and block bridging the gap. And so how would you suggest overcoming those barriers? I mean, Brandon and I are absolutely enemies. So. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it friendly, but there's definitely a rivalry there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Alex, that's a good question. I, I think that. It, I mean, it might be a rivalry. I, I've never sensed that from any of my sales counterparts. What I have sensed, though, is a misunderstanding of how long it takes to do certain tasks. And so there's there's a misunderstanding and kind of like a impatience in how long it would take me to put on a webinar or how long it would take me to send an email because they just don't understand that to send an email, you have to set up tokens uh, you have to do, you know, there's, there's tracking, you know, you have to do, so you have to set up a bunch of Salesforce campaigns or, you know, the copy, you know, you take a good email, you take like an hour and a half to write it to make sure it's, it's good and it's, and it's precise and you rewrite it and rewrite it. So, um, I mean, from that impatience and misunderstanding, has there been some sort of like, this is my team, this is your team? Yeah, but it's, it hasn't been a rivalry in the sense of like, we're, one person's trying to create more yeah. revenue than the other. 
Okay, excellent. Uh, so do you think, uh, you kind of mentioned it before, but uh, considering both departments don't tend to not fully understand each other's role, do you think the training would be of great assistance during that time? And then it was sort of leading to a more free-flowing collaboration. And if, if that wouldn't be beneficial, do you think it would be, would you recommend that for other businesses? Yeah, I think it's it's a weird thing, right? When you look at marketing and sales, because they're they're really really closely aligned. Um, and I, I actually disagree with what Catherine said earlier. She said that I think like a salesperson doesn't need marketing to be successful. I think an individual salesperson can be awesome without marketing, but a, a sales team in general and a, and a business unit needs marketing to be successful, and and more importantly, needs marketing to be efficient and, and to scale. So. Um, I, it's just weird. I think you see it so many companies that even though they're so closely aligned, they're like cousins, right? But they often have literally no idea what the other team is working on. Um, it's almost like if you asked me to go, you know, code software, I would just be look at you with a dumb face and be like, I have no idea how to do that. But a lot of salespeople look at marketing that way. And um, so to your point of training, I, I don't know that like full in-depth training will solve the problem, but definitely getting to know people on a on a person-to-person level and understanding what they're working on when, you know, hey, uh, if you're asking me to put on a webinar, like get to know what that entails to Catherine's point. So um, yeah, I do think there's a level of transparency and, and education there where you just try and figure out, okay, like I want to educate myself on what it takes to do these things. And I think through that, um, you have a better understanding and, and more empathy towards the, the marketing team. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that like a full in-depth training on how to do their job would be helpful, but certainly uh, uh, transparency on what they're doing is, is definitely important. Sure. Yeah, you know, you know, Alex, I I worked at a company that had a full blown sales boot camp that every single person at the company had to go through, and in it, you know, they did dry runs of sales calls. They, you know, had a bunch of different product marketing overviews, so you could pitch the product based off the industry and the use case. And I think it it was like two weeks long, and and again, every single person in the company had to go through it, and it was useful. But at the same time, everyone that I know that went through it still had some sort of, uh, you know, there was some, that rivalry, that disconnect between sales and marketing. And so what I but what I did see that started to change people's minds is when marketing would sit on sales internal review, like their account planning calls. And then if they would sit on sales calls, because it was kind of like walking the walk is what made them understand. Um, that's from marketing to sales. And then for sales to marketing, I started getting I started getting uh, more respect or understanding for my sales counterparts when I started adding more tangible value to them. And that, but at the same time, that was because I was sitting on their account planning calls and I was able to in real time, give them advice on messaging or, you know, if there was something they could leverage to help close that deal. And so I think it's, it's being present in each, each other's like day to day when you can, um, that can help informally train and bridge those gaps. Sure. And, uh, so would you say having overlapping goals and metrics would keep everyone on the same page, uh, sort of advancing it on like that way? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
and uh, also just advance on that a little further, but would you uh, sort of, um, it's possibly a bit out there, but one manager between both departments, do you think that's a good idea or should it be separate managers with their own level, uh, level of expertise in sales and um, marketing? I mean, I, I think ideally what you want is to have two separate people Right, as someone who is kick-ass at sales and someone who's kick-ass at marketing, who have a really, really good relationship, that um, set a really good example for both teams to have a good relationship that are working towards a, a universal goal. I think that's the ideal situation. Um, it, it doesn't mean that you know one person can't run both. I mean, I've I've seen that done successfully too, but um, it's certainly a lot when you're looking at you know running a marketing team and running a sales team. That's a lot to to undertake. So I I don't think that. Ideally, you want to have one person doing all that. I think they'd be a little bit stretched then. Okay. Yeah, I think like maybe you could like a, a version of that where it would be okay is if marketing reported to sales directly, right? Like if if there just was not an environment at a company where the chief marketing officer would be able to get things done, get buy-in as a direct report to the CEO, then I think reporting to whoever the sales executive is could be could potentially be a solution um but again it, i think it really depends on the environment of whatever company you're working at um sure so what would be your main suggestions words advice for other SaaS companies looking to sort of make the most of their sales and marketing departments <laughs> i would say I mean, you got to remember that these are people too and stop, you know, talking crap about the other one and assuming that the other one isn't doing their job or isn't trying to be helpful or is out to get you. Like there's, there's no conspiracy in people just not getting along. It's just people being people. And so uh, talking from with my marketing hat on, I would suggest any marketer that's listening to this, that's not getting along with your salespeople to just make more of an effort of of showing your personality and your and your humanity to them. I mean, I remember at my last job, I had a team of like 30 salespeople that I worked with directly and I was not getting any traction from them. I mean, they were not answering my emails. They were not answering my calls. They wouldn't look at me in Zoom calls. I mean, they were just, just completely disinterested in anything I had to say. And I, I couldn't understand it. Like, why, why not? But and then I realized, I was like, well, they don't even know me. Like this team of 30 salespeople have been working together for years and I just came in out of nowhere. And so I had no credibility. And so I took, took uh, an hour when we were all together for a, like an internal training meeting. And I did a PowerPoint of me <laughs> and, and, and like funny <laughs> facts about me. And I told, you know, and I let them know who I, who I am. I have two dogs I'm, you know, in my spare time, I like to nap. I, you know, I like to eat the same thing for dinner a month on it. Like I just told them all these things to give more color and, and to show who I am because I'm not someone that necessarily goes to happy hours or dinners with colleagues. So they just, they had no reason to trust me. So I had to give them a reason to trust me. And while that might not be appropriate for everyone listening to this, start thinking of ways that you can just show that you give a shit. You know, because salespeople are working with, you know, a metric over their head with like a number that they have to get to put food on the table. They don't necessarily have as steady of a salary as someone in marketing. So just 
try to show some empathy to them. Yeah. Uh, do you think this is a... Yeah, and I think on the flip side there, it, it's... It... Sorry, Ron, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. I was just going to add some 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 light to that from the sales perspective. I think it's very much what Catherine said, right? Like realize that marketing people are are people. Like just build a, a personal relationship with them at first, just so that you can get to know them. But beyond that, I think my recommendation to any company who's experiencing issues is look at your KPIs, right? Are both teams working towards different things? Because that right there will cause uh, a headache for you or for both teams. And then the, the second thing is just transparency and communication. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this big issue arise between sales and marketing that boils down just to the simple fact that each side didn't know what the other side was doing. And so when you don't know something, you start to formulate these opinions about it, or you start to just make things up to fill that void. And um, ultimately you're working with information that's not accurate. So um, just be open and transparent. Like even if you can't accommodate a request, say, hey, listen, I can't do that webinar for you, but here's why. Here are the things that I'm doing right now. Um, and, and here's why I'm doing those things. And, and hopefully at least if they, you know, that's that's my belief. Just even if you're unhappy with an answer, if you know the why behind it and you, there's some transparency there, then you can at least understand it and, and you know, move on. So um, align align KPIs and, and have a more open and, and transparent communication of what's being worked on. Hmm. Okay. Really, uh, I was going to ask, uh, really, do you think this is, in the way marketing and sales evolved over the last 10, 20 years, is this a modern thing or was it different in the past? And how do you see it going in the future? Well, I, I think on my end from, you know, coming into sales, well, I've learned a hell of a lot more about marketing. I think I've always had more of a, an open view when it comes to marketing because marketing works on some really, really cool things. And it, it can really honestly change the entire landscape of sales. But, um, you know, some of the trends that I've seen just from marketing and sales overall is this kind of idea of MQLs and SQLs and all of this stuff. And it's one of the things that sales will actually sort of is trying to solve for. And um, you're starting to see, and it goes back to this whole KPI issue. It's like, well, if you've got you know, MQLs, and that's a metric for your marketing team. And they're just, you know, working 24 seven to get these MQLs, but then you're noticing that salespeople aren't getting the revenue bump that they need. That's because there's a disconnect between an MQL and an SQL. And at the end of the day, it's not really like, you shouldn't be focusing on those metrics. It's not what's important. So um, I, I think that the future is sort of sales and marketing working closer together as a revenue unit, right? It's not necessarily just going to be two different teams working on two different things. So um, yeah, I, I think that's sort of the trend that I've seen is just naturally sales and marketing are coming closer and closer together. Um, and, and that's what's going to, it's going to take to be successful. Yeah. I mean, Alex, you know, when, when there wasn't digital marketing, when it was just in-person events, direct mailers, swag, you know, collateral, physical collateral that you'd hand out to clients, that all those things were so much more visible and tangible to salespeople, right? Like they saw everything that marketing was doing. It also wasn't as scalable, right? So they didn't have as much of a reach uh, as they do now with digital. But with digital, if I'm tell Brandon I'm doing digital ads, it's like, okay, well, but he doesn't see them. He doesn't see them. So it's like, what, what is that really what is that really doing for me? You know, and if I, if I host a webinar and he's not hosting it, like 
and he doesn't have time to attend it. Like he doesn't see the, he won't see the value. He won't see, uh, he just won't see the fruits of my labor, so to speak. So, um, it's just, it's become, it's definitely become harder for marketing teams to show, improve their value to sales. And as Brandon was saying, this sort of like transition from everyone, you know, one goal, one team, we just got to make money to like, now it's sales qualified leads, marketing qualified leads, sales pipeline, marketing pipeline, um, you know, it urgent with marketing, but like it was closed because of marketing, like all this like divvying up of the data points to just prove that one team has value, has, has just, and then on top of that, the personality and the like, not getting along with each other, it just breathes a sort of like, you know, gap between the two teams. So, you know, I, I have a vivid memory of not very long ago being told as soon as COVID happened to start producing a webinar a week for my team. And that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's a lot of work. And, and I did it. Like I, I was able to host all those webinars, but then I didn't have anyone, I didn't have a dedicated BDR or SDR or salesperson do any follow-up on the leads. And so I was sitting there with all these just people that attended and registered my webinars, but I had no one to follow up with them. And it was because the BDRs and SDRs were busy getting qualified leads for their team. And then same with the, you know, salesperson. So it's like, you know, it, it can be really hard when we all, all aren't working on the same goal um, to really like make something of what we're working on. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so I think a, a good way to sort of end the podcast, I've got several questions about uh, SaaS itself, really, if you're ready for those. So it's a bit of a shift in focus, but um, I think a good one is what sort of challenges do you think because it's been such an odd year, an unusual year for all of us, for obvious reasons. But uh, what sort of challenges do you think SaaS businesses face next year in 2021? Yeah. Um, so, as uh, just like with every company, um, Saleswell sort of had to look in the mirror when COVID hit, right? And we had to kind of look at our business strategy and, and the market and, and figure out what's going on. And I think one of the things that we identified as things have slowly started to kind of recover um, is that there's a much larger barrier to entry. Companies essentially have to prove ROI before they can make a purchasing decision. So I think the question you're asking for SaaS is sort of dependent on price point, right? When you've got lower price point items, there's an easier air, uh, you know, uh, uh, entry point. And so maybe those sorts of expenses no longer have to get approved. But when you're talking about larger price points, then you have to find ways to prove that ROI ahead of time. People can't just make a purchasing decision to see if it works anymore. Uh, companies are are much more attuned to, to, you know, being fiscally responsible based on what's happening in the world. So, for us, we sort of had to reimagine, you know, how do we get in the door and how do we prove ROI um, in order to get them to, to work with us? And so for us, um, we, we started exploring a freemium model, but I think that's going to be one of the major issues for at least higher price point companies is how do we, you know, get in the door and how do we prove that ROI ahead of time uh, before they sign anything with us? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, no one ever does something because 
someone else says, trust me, do it, or trust me, it's good for you, right? Like if that were the case, I wouldn't be eating pizza once a week. And it's, it's just so much more true now with this, you know, current, you know, you know, the economy, the, you know, everyone's health, like it's just, it's so much more uncertain than it was when life was 12 months ago. And so that now no one's going to take a risk. They, they, as Brandon said, they need to show proof. And so for any SaaS marketers listening out there, like I would really focus on helping your salespeople provide, you know, free content, free, you know, value add to like entertain and, and um, educate your, your prospects because, you know, it's going to be a long courtship to get folks to want to invest in some sort of SaaS product moving forward. Yeah. And, and we've seen that, you know, the early fruits of our labor start to, to come in. I mean, we basically stopped everything and doubled down on a content strategy as soon as COVID hit. It was really just about how can we produce meaningful content? How can we provide value during this really shitty time for a lot of companies and a lot of people? Um, and, and, and uh, you know, thankfully, it, it's something that that worked out for us. But I think a lot of companies are going to have to kind of sit down and look in the mirror, so to speak, and say, Hey, you know, what we were working on pre-COVID, is that still applicable, right? Is, is that still going to work? Because the world is a little bit different. And if nothing else, companies are going to be a lot more risk averse, you know, than as, as Catherine said. Hmm. Uh, one of the interesting things about SAF is it has uh, sort of seen in many countries sort of continued growth. Do you think that might make people a bit more willing to take risks? Just there's a bit of an out there question. Well, I think it's it's not necessarily that they're not willing to take risks. It's just that they have to justify it a lot more, right? Especially when it comes to SaaS, because there's there's a lot of different SaaS products out there. There's a lot of different software. There's a lot of different companies vying for those dollars. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I think companies are going to spend on the things that they know are going to work, right? I, I think one of the things that we saw with, with COVID was companies kind of going through this efficiency process to say like, hey... How can we make our company more efficient? How can we trim the fat? Because it was sort of an opportunity for them to reset. Um, and what that means is they're investing in the, the software and the services that they know works. It's proven for them, right? And so when you're, you're on the outside looking in and you're trying to say, hey, I can provide value for you, um, it, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. So it's, it's not impossible for sure, but you've got to be able to prove that ROI and you've got to you know, understand that the sales cycle is going to be a bit longer. Right. Okay, and uh, from a uh, sort of uh, two pers different perspectives at the moment. Uh, one first question is for a SaaS startup, uh, what, what advice at this point in time would you offer for SaaS professionals, considering world events and for a good positive twenty twenty one? Yeah, um, I mean, for me, I've, I've predominantly worked at startups. That's really where. I thrive is in that early chaos, um, helping startups reach hyper growth. And um, for me, the the best advice I can give is just be <laughs> be prepared for the chaos, right? And be be agile. Um, the most successful startups I've seen are the ones that are able to pivot, are able to adapt, are able to read the landscape and and change. And um, I think COVID has proven that a lot of companies that weren't able to do that, unfortunately, weren't able to to, to make it through this crisis um, and are still struggling, right? Um, so yeah, my, my recommendation would be, you may have an awesome idea and you may have an awesome go-to-market strategy, but, uh, have, have a checkpoint every, you know, couple months just to make sure that you don't need to change or adjust your strategy. 
I mean, get comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> sure. And uh, from the other side of that, then, for established start businesses, um, moving forward into 2021 and before 2020, if you will, uh, what do you think are the sort of golden rules for continuing on success? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> so, I mean, I've I've definitely before, I mean, the sales world is my first startup before I've worked at huge, huge companies like General Dynamics, Sinclair Broadcast Group, KNL Gate. I mean, just, mon, you know, monstrosity of businesses. And, you know, they are inherently less agile and because you can't be that agile agile when you're that big, right? I mean, General Dynamics has, I don't know, tens of thousands of people, uh, employees. So, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable, get comfortable with not following your plan, which is probably less, it's less familiar at a large enterprise SaaS company as opposed to a startup. Um, and, you know, start treating, but start, I guess, start treating your company like a startup maybe would be my my advice for those larger enterprise established businesses. Okay, Brandon? Yeah, I think it's I mean it's tough, right? When you're when you're at a company of that size and you're you're already established, chances are there's a lot of stakeholders um, and there's a lot of things that you're looking at. Um, and really I think it just comes down to um, efficiency. Like how can we be more efficient? How can we simplify? Um, and, and that goes back to, you know, how many people are working on how many things and do all of those things align with the bottom line of the company? Um, you know, for me, it's my view is how can I simplify things to make it as easy as possible to understand what we're all working towards. Um, but I think COVID proved that if you're not able to at least be, be agile enough to change your plan to, um, you know, think outside the box, then you're going to really struggle because it, this shitty virus kind of took out um, the, the the floor on a lot of companies that just weren't ready and weren't able to adapt. And, and that, that really sucks. Okay, thank you. And there's one final question, hopefully for a more positive future for everybody, but uh, particularly with SaaS, where do you see the industry heading? Uh, it's a mark, mark growth innovation uh what did what do you predict for the next few years five ten years yeah i think um pretty much every company at this point is at least considering a, a freemium model um i, I think you're going to sort of see that from a lot of companies it's something that you're going to have to do right like like i said it's it's becoming a lot harder to get a company to to make purchasing decisions there's a lot more people that have to sign off on it right it used to be Hey, I'm director of sales, and I'm going to spend you know twenty five thousand dollars on this SaaS product that I know is going to help my business, um, and they just go and do it. Now it's a little bit more difficult, where you may have to go and get sign off from you know upper management, from C level, and it's you have to justify why. You kind of have to put yourself on the line and and say, Hey, I'm I'm vouching for this. I know this is going to do that, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that without proving it first. So. Um, I think you'll see a lot of companies shifting to a, a freemium model so that they can get their foot in the door. Um, and it's proven to be really successful. Um, and that's something that I, I think is where we're trending. Yeah. And I would I would also say I see every SaaS product to start like focusing on their ideal customer persona and 
focusing less on a catch-all approach, uh, which is challenging, right? Like it's challenging on a personal level because you want to, you know, got to get them all, you know, whatever the Pokemon reference is. But, um, you know, letting go of the people that your product just won't work for, even if it's, they could find some sort of like duct tape way to make it work and and solve some problem that you, you didn't, you're like, I don't even know what that problem is. I see the industry letting that go and focusing more on their ideal customer persona. Right. Okay, no, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time, uh, Brandon and Catherine. Uh, I believe that's the end of our podcast. So again, thank you very much for your time.